Good fellowship and hotel food. It's all been great. Preaching's been phenomenal. And my soul has been fed. I appreciate all these messages from all these good preachers. It has been a joy to be with you again this year. Begin to open your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 27, if you would. Matthew chapter number 27, if you're physically able to do so, would you stand very briefly out of respect and reverence for the reading of God's Word? Matthew chapter 27, let's begin our reading in verse 1. As the last two preachers have, I will be in the last week of Christ again myself during this message. Matthew chapter 27, verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned, and, and that I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury, because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore, that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremy the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. And when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered, Nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Lord, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. Help me as I preach. Dear God, empty me of self and selfish desires. Uh, Lord, help me to glorify you. And Lord, to help your people and to challenge us in one particular area that you've laid on my heart. Do the work that you've always desired to do at this moment, I pray. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You will find that there are times when, when a voice speaking up can make all the difference in a circumstance, in a setting. I mentioned yesterday that I pastor in a very rough area, and Brother Dorsey and I were talking a little bit about that a little while ago. I don't know where he's gotten off to. Brother Dorsey, wherever you are, wherever you are you'll like this. This is another one to add to your repertoire here. Uh, there was a time when we had a Sunday morning service at our church that was one of those epic, legendary Sunday mornings, and I just knew I was the next mega pastor. I came in that morning and there were 17 first-time visitors sitting on the second and third row right up here on the left side. And I thought, boy, hallelujah, somebody take pictures and mark it down. My mug's on the Sword of the Lord poster next week, man. I know it's coming. 17 first-time visitors. I'm about to hit the big time. Well, it was about to hit, but not the big time. 90 seconds before service started, there was a woman in our church and her husband who were sitting in the back row, the far back corner. 
This woman, for some reason, got a B in her bonnet that day and decided that 90 seconds before service would be a great time to explode. She hops out of her seat back there, and I mean, she's a really large individual, and she is so angry and in such a hurry, she is storming the platform, and drywall's cracking, and chandeliers are, and I know I know trouble's coming. It looked like Godzilla in Tokyo, man. And she, she gets all the way to the front row, and my, my, my daughter is sitting on the front row, and she starts going, I can't even understand her, like she's speaking in tongues. And my daughter, she's just sitting there holding bus kids, man. She's just sitting there holding bus kids, loving on them, trying to be mid. And this woman is screaming at her, and I came out of the pulpit. And I said, woman, I don't know what your problem is. Calm down. We'll talk about this after. Daughter disrespected me. I can't imagine why. She seems so respectable. I have no idea why. Your daughter disrespected me. I know that's not the case. If it was my other daughter or my son, they went, yeah, I'm sorry, would it? But this, not, not this, this is my good child. And, and I said, I said, calm down. We'll talk about this after. So she said, we'll talk about it now. I said, we'll talk about it after service. She said, I said now. I said, after service. She turned to her husband, sitting back on the back row, meekly watching all this unfold. And she said, get our stuff. We're leaving and never coming back to this horrible church. He got up and grabbed his purse and, <clears throat> and meekly, meekly went on out to the car. And I got 17 visitors going. I got in the pulpit and said, Open your hymn books to hymn number 120. Where do you sing victory in Jesus? I heard no, no. And I wasn't feeling the victory, man. And all it would have taken to change the entire equation would be for a husband to stand up and say, Woman, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful, come back here now, sit down, We'll talk about this with the preacher later on. That's all it would have taken. But because he did not, 17 first-time visitors never came back. And as I followed the situation, have never darkened the door of a church since that day. Because somebody that could have spoken up did not speak up. Now, the sufferings of Jesus were many things. They were prophesied things. You can read of them all through the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. You can read of them from Isaiah 53, written 700 years before the crucifixion. You can read them in Psalm 22, written a 1,000 years before the crucifixion. You can read them in Zechariah chapter 12, written 500 years before the crucifixion. The sufferings of Jesus were agonizing. His beard was yanked out of his face. He underwent the, the scourging with a cat of nine tails, the crown of thorns. He was beaten. His visage was marred more than any man. He was pierced with nails. He experienced the the dehydration. His sufferings were redeeming sufferings. With his stripes, we are healed. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. But they were also not the entire story. Jesus, as we've already said, began to suffer before the nails were ever driven. He suffered in Gethsemane, sweat great drops of blood. His soul was exceeding sorrowful unto death. He also suffered through 
throughout his mock trial, but there is one aspect of his suffering that often escapes our notice. I'm thinking of the fact that Jesus, who should have been verbally defended by vast multitudes at that moment, found a near deafening silence when his life was on the line. Can you imagine what it felt like to Jesus to hear crickets chirping as he is on trial being accused of these horrible things? I want to preach for the next few moments on this subject. Won't somebody speak up for Jesus? Now let's notice first of all the people that Jesus touched along the way. Uh, Go back if you would please to Matthew chapter 8 verse 1. In Matthew chapter 8 we find that Jesus healed a leper. The Bible says when he was come down from the mountain great multitudes followed him and behold there came a leper and worshipped him saying Lord if thou wilt thou canst make me clean. And Jesus put forth his hand and touched him saying I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed and Jesus saith unto him see thou tell no man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. Now, this is the first time in a thousand years or so that anyone had been miraculously healed of leprosy. The only two that had been previously healed of a true case of leprosy, not just a momentary sign like Moses, were Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 and Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. In other words, 4,000 years of human history, two instances of divine healing, both of them, many generations before the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, this man was in a bad way. There was a death sentence in his body. He was separated from everyone and everything that he loved. He had to stay without the camp crying, unclean, unclean, don't come near, unclean. His life was a disaster. He was dying of this disease. There was no help and no hope. But Jesus came by, touched him, and I mean, he's still in his leprous state and Jesus touches him. He didn't heal him and then touch him. He touched him and then healed him. Isn't that good that Jesus touches us in our sinful state, heals us of our sin and brings us into his family? Jesus touches him, heals him. Now the man is free of his disease. Now he can go anywhere, do anything, be anything. In John chapter 9 verse 1 through 11 you can read about Jesus healing a man blind from his birth. Now what a miracle and what it had to, had to mean to that man. Can you imagine all the firsts? First time you've ever gotten to look on a sunrise. First time you've ever seen a sunset. First time you ever see the face of your mother that gave you birth. First time you have ever seen the temple that everybody is raving about. He gets to see all these things because Jesus came by and made a difference in his life. Now, previous to this time, he's very limited in where he could go and what he could do. If he wanted to go somewhere and do something... Someone had to lead him by the hand. But after Jesus gave him his sight, now he can pretty much go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do, be what he wants to be. In John chapter 5, verse 1 through 9, we read that Jesus healed a man that had been lame for 38 years. Can you imagine being the one that is paralyzed for 38 years? I mean, unable to work, unable to run, unable to walk, unable to play, unable to come, unable to go. And here's this man that's been lame 38 years. Jesus shows up and heals him. And now he can go where he wants. He can do what he wants. He can be what he wants. In Mark chapter 2, we find another case of Jesus healing a lame man 
This time, one completely paralyzed. Four of his friends say, hey, look, I've heard of this guy named Jesus who I understand can heal people. Let's get him to Jesus. They get him to Jesus. They can't get near for the press. So undeterred, they take him up on the roof, break up the roof, drop him down through the roof to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only heals him, but saves him of his sin. Now this man who was paralyzed can go where he wants to go, do what he wants to do, be what he wants to be. In Luke chapter 11, verse 14, Jesus healed a man who could not speak. Luke eleven fourteen says, And he was casting out a devil, and it was dumb. And it came to pass, when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. This guy's got a devil living inside of him, and the devil is keeping him from speaking. Now, may I say, from personal experience of many years of ministry, I'd say that is a very rare devil, because most of the devils I know make people speak. This, this guy's got a devil that's not letting him speak. He, 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 he can't shout. He, he can't praise. He can't glorify God. He can't say please. He can't say thank you. But Jesus comes by. And by the time Jesus is done, the devil is gone. And now this guy can order food, ask people out, get a job, praise God. He can come and go as he pleases. He can do what he wants. He can be what he wants to be. In Mark chapter 7, verse 32 through 37, Jesus healed a man who was deaf. The Bible says, And they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseech him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said unto him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And straightway his ears were opened and the string of his tongue was loosed and he spake plain. And he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so the more a great deal they published it and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. Aren't you glad we serve the God who does all things well? Well, this man's deaf. He, he does not have the ability to hear of Jesus. He doesn't have the ability to hear the sweet songs of Zion. He does not have the ability to hear when people are testifying how good God has been to them. But now all of a sudden Jesus comes by and by the time Jesus is done, he can hear all of that and more. He can now go where he wants to go. He can now do what he wants to do. He can now be what he wants to be. Well, in Luke chapter 7, look over here. Here's a very interesting case. Luke chapter 7, verse 11 through 15. In this case, Jesus makes a difference in a dead man's life. He brings a dead man back to life. Luke chapter 7 verse 11. And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and much people. And now when he came nigh into the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out. The only son of his mother and she was a widow and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, weep not. And he came and touched the buyer, and they that bare him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. Now you talk about needing a difference made in your life. May I point out this scientific fact? Being dead is very socially awkward. 
Can, can you imagine the awkwardness of being dead? Mom, I've met the greatest guy. Oh, that's wonderful, sweetie. What can you tell me about him? He's dead. That never happens, man. That never happens. Dead people don't get dates. Dead people don't get jobs. Dead people don't graduate from school. Dead people don't have houses. Dead people don't get patted on the back. It's very socially awkward being dead. You just don't have much excitement when you're dead. This guy is dead. He cannot move. He cannot speak. He cannot talk. He cannot breathe. He cannot hear. He cannot see. He's got all the problems of the other guys all rolled into one. He's dead. But Jesus shows up and by the time Jesus is done with him, he's not dead anymore. He's alive. He can walk now. He can talk now. He can go now. He can see now. He can hear now. He can go where he wants to go. He can do what he wants to do. He can be what he wants to be. I'm telling you, nobody makes a difference in lives like the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the people that he touched along the way. But notice number two, the potential to speak when needed most. Now, out of all the people that we've just mentioned, plus many, many more, out of all those people that could now pretty much go where they wanted to go, do what they wanted to do, be what they wanted to be, I'm struck by the fact that as I read the gospel accounts of the trial of Jesus and even of the crucifixion that followed, none of them were there for him. Stop and think through this. Before the time of Matthew chapter 8, that leper would not have been able to get near enough to speak up for Jesus. He was bound to stay outside the camp and all he could say was unclean, unclean. But now he has been healed of his leprosy. Now that all Jerusalem is on an uproar about Jesus, now that he's being tried, now that he's being crucified, this leper could have been there saying, hey, wait, stop. I don't know what you think you've got on this guy, but I'm telling you, he's not what you think he is. I was a leper. This man came by and touched me and healed me. He's not just a man. He's the Son of God and God the Son. Leave him alone. He healed me when I was a leper. Before the time of John chapter 9, the man born blind would not have been able to speak up for Jesus. He wouldn't have been able to point him out to give any word for him at all. But now this guy could be there saying, hey, listen, I don't know what you think you've got on this Jesus, but I was a blind guy and now I can see. He touched the eyes of a man born blind. That's never happened before. He's the Son of God and God the Son. But he's not there to speak up. Before the time of John chapter 5, the lame man laying by the pool of Bethesda would not have been able to speak up for Jesus. He could never have dragged himself from Bethesda to the judgment hall, nor could the paralyzed man of Mark 2 drag himself from his home prior to Mark 2. But these men are not lame anymore. They've both gotten up and carried their beds back home. They had the ability to be there during the trial. They had the ability to be there at the cross. They had the ability to say, hey, we were lame. Jesus came by our way. He healed us. We can walk now. Leave this man alone. He's the Son of God and God the Son. Before the time of Luke chapter 11, the man who couldn't speak very obviously would not have been able to spoke up for Jesus if he wanted to. But now he can speak. He can say good words. He can say bad words. He can say harsh words. He can say encouraging words. Whatever he wants to say, he can. But he's not there at the trial. He's not there at the cross. Or if he is there, he's keeping very silent. He's not there saying, hey, I couldn't speak. Jesus came by my way. Now I can speak. He's the Son of God and God the Son. Before the time of Luke chapter 7, you find that the the deaf man couldn't speak. But after the time of Luke chapter 7, he could. Hey, people who had been fed in that crowd of 5,000 on one occasion and on another occasion, a crowd of 4,000, they could have been there on the day saying, Hey, listen, I was there the day that he took just a handful of food and broke it before the multitudes. I'm telling you, he fed an entire massive crowd. He just kept breaking it and coming and breaking it and coming. He's the Son of God and God the Son. Listen, there are all these thousands that he's touched along the way. And during his trial, 
Not a voice is speaking up for him. There at the cross, not a one of them speaking up for him. The people he touched along the way, the potential to speak when needed most. Notice then number three, the perplexing silence of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 through 14. The Bible says, and when he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? And he answered him to never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. You know, of everything Pilate saw and heard on this, it's likely that to him the most perplexing thing on that day is what he didn't hear. Pilate had tried a lot of people. Pilate had crucified a lot of people. And I can tell you with 100% certainty what had never happened before. He had never had a person on trial for his life before who did not speak up and say why he should be allowed to live. He had never had a man who did not say, I don't want to die. I want to live. Listen, find me another way. Show me some mercy. I'm innocent. I didn't do it. He heard that a lot. But he never had somebody be completely silent and never speak up in his own defense. Jesus could have said and done so much. He could have transfigured himself before Pilate as he did on the mount and everything in that trial would have been over. He could have done a miracle before Pilate's very eyes. That trial would have been over. He could have engaged him in a series of questions and answers that left Pilate humbled and the trial would have been over. He could have pointed out all the secret sin in Pilate's own life and the trial would have been over and yet the one who could have spoken the word and ended it all said absolutely nothing. As I think of the trial, especially of Jesus, I'm perplexed that not a single voice, it seems, spoke up. But then I remember there was actually one voice that did. Go to Matthew 27, 19. Notice the powerful witness of the most unlikely individual. Matthew 27, 19. The Bible says, when he, meaning Pilate, was set down on the judgment seat... His wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Now, Matthew 27, 19 is one of those incredibly unique verses of Scripture that dot the sacred record. It is one of those verses that, please listen to me carefully as I say it, was wanted rather than needed. Let me explain what I mean. As far as the account of the crucifixion goes, the information given in verse 19 is really not necessary. We can be born again without ever knowing what Pilate's wife did on this day. What we find in verse 19 does not advance the narrative in any way. In fact, the other three gospel writers don't even mention it and yet it is foolish to say that it's unimportant because God put it in here and therefore it's essential. The fact that this verse is included in this account is not so much because we needed it but because God wanted it. In other words, something here so very precious happened that when Matthew later put pen to parchment, Jesus said, Matthew, do you remember that time when Claudia Procula, the wife of Pilate, spoke up for me? Matthew, I want you writing that down. I want all future generations to know know what she did for me when no one else would. Now here's what I want you to think of by way of comparison. When his people, the Jews, turned against him and would not speak up for him, a Gentile spoke up for Jesus. When the brave man ran in fear and had nothing to say, a woman spoke up for Jesus. 
When the former leper was not there or was not willing to speak up, a woman who had never been healed by leprosy spoke up for Jesus. When a former blind man somehow did not see his way there to speak up for Jesus, a woman who had never been healed of blindness spoke up for Jesus. When former lame men did not run their way there to speak up for Jesus, a woman who had never been lame spoke up for Jesus. When those who had had their deaf ears open did not speak up for Jesus, this woman spoke up for Jesus, though her deaf ears had never been opened. When Peter was busy denying Jesus three times, even cursing and saying, I do not know the man. A little woman was busy saying, I may not know him, but I'm telling you he's a righteous man, a just man. You better leave him alone. When the multitudes were cowering in fear, going along with the priests, this little lady was saying, I don't care what the multitudes say. I don't care what the priests say. I'm telling you, leave him alone. He's a just man. When her own husband, a waffling politician, was trying to find a way out of it, her, his, his wife was saying, listen to me, you better do what's right, not what's expedient. Leave this man alone. When the multitudes who had perhaps been fed by him were crying, crucify him, crucify him. This woman who had never been fed by him was saying, let him live, let him live. When Jesus was not even speaking up for himself, this woman was saying, he's a just man. Have nothing to do with him. Listen, at the very beginning of this message, I said Jesus, who should have been defended by, by vast multitudes, found a near deafening silence when his life was on the line. The reason I said it that way was because there was one voice that did. There was one voice, the least likely voice in the kingdom that spoke up for him. You say, preacher, it didn't do any good. Oh, I beg to differ. He was going to die no matter what. He came to do that. No amount of people speaking up for him was ever going to change that. But what she did was so important to God that God said, write it down so every future generation can see it. You listen to me very carefully. There are 7 billion people on our planet now, 7.7 in fact, about 3.5 billion have never even heard a gospel presentation. I want to know who's going to speak up for Jesus. Listen to me, it's real easy to get in an atmosphere like this, and I love this atmosphere. It's easy to shout and to run the aisles and wave handkerchiefs and hold our hands up. But you listen to me, when we go out there, when we go to school, kids, when we go to work, when we go back to our families, when we go back to our neighborhoods, there's a world of people dying and going to hell. There's a world of scoffers and skeptics who not only do not like Jesus, they cannot stand him, they despise him, and somebody's got to speak up for Jesus. It's a scary thing, but somebody's got to do it. About 18 years ago, right as I was getting the church started, I was still running my store until the church could get up and running and support itself. It was Christmas time, and one night I heard a knock on the door. I went out there and looked, and there was a young man from the projects right down the road. He was knocking on my door, and he was a young man that would often come by and ask for a little bit of work, and I'd give him some work to do to earn a few dollars. He came in, and he said, Preacher, man, you got any work I can do? I said, no, I don't. I I really don't right now. And then it dawned on me, preacher, I I never even witnessed to him. I said, hey, listen, you got a minute? He said, yeah, preacher, man. I said, I got a question. It's Christmas time. What do you know about Christmas? Oh, well, uh, give out gifts and Santa Claus. They say Santa Claus come down the chimney and all that kind of good stuff and gives all kind of cool stuff. I said, is that all you know? He said, yeah. I said, can I tell you something? He said, sure. I started at Genesis. Started with the fall of man. Started working our way up all the way through the Old Testament and all the sin debt of man. Got to where Jesus came and was born of a virgin. Went from there to where he lived a sinless life. Went from there to where he died on Calvary. Went from there to where he rose from the dead. Gave him the gospel plan of salvation. He didn't get saved that night, but here's what he said before he left. He said, I've never even heard that. Ramblewood, where he lives, 
is in the shadow of five steeples. Five steeples he's never heard. Next night, I go up there and look. He's standing there again. He's got a buddy with him. Open the door, let him in. What's going on, guys? Hey, preacher man, I tried to tell my buddy here what you said last night. I don't know if I got it all right yet, but he'd never heard it either. Could you tell him? Listen to me, folks. Somebody's got to stand up for Jesus. Somebody's got to speak up for Jesus. I'll give you this. We'll have the invitation. There was an old lady in our church, Christine Owens. We just called her Grandma Owens. One of the sweetest, godliest old ladies I ever knew. She came to me crying one day. She was all upset. I said, what's wrong, Grandma? She said, Preacher, you were talking about winning people to the Lord. Preacher, I'm an old woman. I've never won anybody to the Lord. I said, well, you still got some years left. Why don't you just tell some people about Jesus? Yeah. I don't know if I know how, preacher, but I'll sure try. There was a cousin of hers, an old man named Buck. She started inviting Buck to church and telling Buck how much she loved the Lord. Nine years ago, Buck came to church on Sunday morning and knelt down at the side of the altar, 69 and a half years old. Big old tears streaming down his cheeks. He's a blacksmith by trade. Big old arms. Preacher, I need to be saved. Buck got saved that day. The story doesn't end there. Buck went home and got his wife. He said, well, we need to come to church with me. She started coming to church. A few years later, we're in the fellowship hall. She'd always claimed to be saved. I knew she wouldn't, but Buck knew she wasn't. Got out in the fellowship hall, and she came to us complaining while me and Buck were out there working. She said, Preacher, I'm having such a hard day, and the Holy Spirit nudged my heart. I said, Miss Dot, you know what you really need? She said, what's that, Preacher? I said, you need to go ahead and get saved. She'd always raised her hand. I'm saved, I'm saved. Just knew she wasn't. That day she went, you're right, preacher. She knelt down there by a chair. She got saved. Sort of in there, she went home and got her son, Brian. Boy, he didn't come to church with us. You know what I look at on Sunday morning now? This side of here, I got Buck and Dot and Brian, the son, and Vicky, his wife, and Caleb, her son, and, and Lee, his wife, and their three kids. There's, there's like a whole side over there filled up because one little woman said, Preacher, I, I've never won anybody to the Lord. And she went and told somebody about Jesus. Listen to me carefully. I want to do everything I can to win the, to win the world of the Lord, and so do all these preachers. But there are people that you will meet that I will never meet. You young people, there's, there's kids at your school you'll meet that I'll never even see them. They'll never hear my voice. They will hear yours. Somebody needs to speak up for Jesus. And can I tell you, can I tell you who it is? You. Let's all stand. Heads about eyes are closed. Every head about eyes are closed. Okay, preacher? As the invitation plays, listen to me carefully.